Welcome to Ill-Equipped History, where two best friends tell you a historical story. And I'm joined by my beautiful, wonderful, perfect co-host, Morgan. Oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? A lot better. Um, so for our listeners who have been so worried about me and my health, uh, I'm doing a lot better. Turns out I had bronchitis, um, which cough drops were not going to touch. So I'm glad I made it through all of our recordings without completely dying on you all. But I found medicine that has been helping a lot. I'm on that super strong scissor uh, and an inhaler. (laughs) (laughs) And I can like talk and laugh now without completely falling apart. And I actually did an act like two activities on Saturday. So two whole activities. I'm very proud of you (laughs) in the public. Like nice. I told Kyle, I was like, I can't go anywhere because I'm sick and I'm going to cough all over everyone. But now I can go do things. Yay. How about you, Emma? How are you doing? My kids started school today. And um, unlike most parents that cry when their kids go to kindergarten and (laughs) pre-K, I was like, bye. Love you. (laughs) My husband teared up. And I ran away. Aww. I love them dearly, but we all needed a break from each other. I mean, you guys are home together all day, every day. For five years. Yeah. So, yeah, we needed this. This was good. They all had fun. My son says he doesn't like girls and he doesn't want to talk to girls right now. So we only made one friend. So, which is fine. He'll get over that, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, are you ready to get into it? I'm ready. Yay. Okay. No idea what our topic is about today, so I'm excited. It's it's a roller coaster, so you better, like previous episodes, put the the harness on. All right. It's going over my head. I'm locked in. All right, now the skit's going to be like the click, clink, click, clink up the hill. So here we go. Okay. Are okay. you ready? Yes. It's 1905. A baseball stadium is packed to the brim with fans ready to see their favorite player. They began to cheer as he cartwheeled his way to the mound. Here he is, folks, the man you've all been waiting for, the star of the show, coming to the mound in his own way. Strike him out, Rube! Let's go fishing! Rube, you've been drinking. You cannot cannot see see the the plate. Just as he approaches the mound, a fire truck drives by, headed for a local blaze. Rube tears off his uniform and starts running for the exit towards the direction of the fire trucks with a red shirt he had hidden underneath his uniform. 
The fans try to call him back, but it's too late. He's already hopped on and passing the truck as it rolls out of sight. We need you, Rube. Rube, come back. We have a chance. Not again. He won't live without Rube. No. Oh, no, folks. It looks like we might have lost him before we can even get started. Rube seems to be helping the firemen instead of playing baseball. How will the A's win without him? Rube Waddell might be in the Baseball Hall of Fame for being one of the best pitchers in baseball history, but he is better known for being the wackiest baseball player of all time. Morgan, have you ever heard of Rube Waddell? I can't say I have. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't either until I was like scrolling on Facebook one day and came across one of those little reels. And just like the 10 second reel, I was like, this is an episode. This is it. <laughs> and the more I read about him and I watched a couple videos and I read a couple things i i don't know i'm gonna let y'all form your own opinions about mr rube waddell so before we get too into it i would like to make a little disclaimer this is the early 1900s and a lot of these stories are going to sound so incredibly outrageous that you're like there is no way these are true but in doing the research i came across pictures of a lot of newspaper articles, which are faulty, but still pretty darn reliable mm -hmm. when it comes to research like this. And sometimes, I mean, detailing these events. Truth is stranger than fiction, honestly. Exactly. Like, there's so many things that happen in real life, and you're like, that can't happen. <laughs> and it sure as hell did. Exactly. And, of course... We all have to take these stories with a grain of salt. I'm sure some of them are exaggerated. But even if a quarter of these are true, this guy was insane. In the membrane. Mostly the... F yeah. Insane in the membrane. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, who was Rube Waddell? Well, Rube was not his real name. What? I'm, I'm honestly very that. surprised. <laughs> Names <laughs> in the early 1900s were wacky. They surely were. But no, he had a very normal last name. Uh, George Edward Waddell. And he was born on Friday, October 13th of 1876. All right. In Bradford, Pennsylvania. So he was born on Friday the 13th. He was one of six children of John and Mary Waddell, and he grew up on the family farm. And we're talking very rural area that he grew up in. And he developed his pitching abilities as a child, throwing rocks at crows to keep them from eating the seeds <laughs> off the farm. <laughs> That's one way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So he got really good at that. And he started out weird from the beginning. So this is a, a weird man through and through, and I applaud him for it. So according to sources, 
when he was about three years old, his father just noticed he was missing. And they found him at the fire station. (laughs) And when his father asked why he was there, the fire chief was just like, literally, quote, I think he likes it here. (laughs) (laughs) This is my home now. He just... He was, like, asleep on the floor. And I don't think they found him for, like, two days. What? He was just... (laughs) Two days. And they finally found him at the fire station. And he was just, like, taking a nap on the floor at three. And in his youth, um, while he was playing for local baseball clubs, he could easily just be lured off the field if someone walked by with some fishing gear, he was just out for a good time. He was like, oh, I know I'm in the middle of a game, but that guy's fishing. So (laughs) I'm going to go with him. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As an adult, he was six, six feet, one inches tall. One inch, six foot one. Why did I say it like that? (laughs) It's that wine kicking in. I had a whole glass of wine before I started, guys, so please don't judge me. I don't normally drink during the week. You had something to celebrate today. I did. Alone time. So, and he weighed 195 pounds. So, tall, pretty skinny guy. But they said that his hands were so big that he could wrap his entire fingers around a baseball and they would touch holy shit big hand yeah oh my gosh i don't even think my see i got real little hands so i'm like trying to imagine i could probably like do a baseball around both of my hands Mm -hmm. like both of my hands looped together is like the exact size of a baseball i've got big hands for a girl and i don't think i could get even three quarters of the way around a baseball Mm -hmm. that's insane uh, so people started calling him Rube, and Rube was just a country bumpkin. It was just a word for a country bumpkin, oh. and he didn't really like, I know, he didn't really like the nickname, but it stuck, unfortunately, but all of his friends and his teammates would call him Eddie. What? His Is... name was George Edward Waddell. Okay, I was like, I thought his first so, name was yeah. George. <laughs> it was, yeah. Okay, but But Eddie. they called him Eddie. Okay. Eddie, and he never finished high school, and he was briefly in the National Guard in 1897. I will say, this man has a jaw that could cut glass. That's all I'm Why does he look like Ashton Kutcher? <laughs> <laughs> he does, he doesn't he? He does. In that yeah. first one. Yeah. He uh, has like a Like a more muscular. <laughs> the does. squarest jaw. I've ever the seen. squarest jaw. He looks like it's cut. This is this is not like a like I'm not saying this as an insult, but his head looks like you know those little Lego people. Like yes. his head is so is very wide, and it reminds me of like the little Lego heads, but with yes. a very square jaw. Square jaw. He's got a strong jaw. Yeah, it matches the rest of them because good lord. <laughs> Um, (laughs) so a little bit about the statistics and if we have any baseball fans out there, I'm just going to apologize in advance. I don't know what any of this means. I know it's significant 
And I tried. I really, <laughs> truly did. But I don't know what this means. There will be a link in the show notes that will take you directly to all of his stats in detail. So don't come at me because I didn't tell you all of his stats. That's not why we're here today. We're here about his antics. But you can't have one without the other because he was an incredible athlete. I mean, he broke records that stood for 60 years at a time. I mean, incredible. So some of the things he achieved or won, like awards and stuff. So in 1905, he got the Triple Crown, which is the batting achievement of leading a league in batting average, home runs, and runs batted in RBI over the same season. Okay. I thought Triple Crown was a racing thing. Like horse racing? (laughs) I only know Crown Royal. That's the only crown that I'm associated with. (laughs) So... I don't know. So in 1905, he was the American League wins leader. So he led the wins, I guess. Okay. In 1900 and 1905, his ERA, or earned run average, he was the leader of that in both of those. And between 1902 and 1907, every year he was the American League strikeout leader. Oh, okay. Yeah. And in 1986, he was put in the Philadelphia Baseball Wall of Fame. In 2021, he was put in the Athletics Hall of Fame. And in 1946, he was put in the Baseball Hall of Fame. All right. So he was an incredible athlete. And during this time, baseball was a lot different. The seasons were shorter. Strikeouts and home runs were more rare than they are today. People weren't hitting, I mean, home runs like they are now. And strikeouts were also more rare for whatever reason. And in 1904, he threw 44 consecutive scoreless innings. Damn. Yeah. I know what that means. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I know what that means. Damn. Yeah. And... Isn't that, like I said, five games in a row? Yeah, something like that. 44 consecutive scoreless innings. Because he just wouldn't let anybody score. Nine innings in a game. Nine Mm -hmm. times five is 45. So on one one end, either the very first one or the very last one, someone got a score. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. And... I will tell a few more statistics as we go through his career, but that's kind of the overview to give you the feel of how incredible of an athlete this man was. And he was just a natural talent. Mm -hmm. Throwing those rocks at crows. I mean, you gotta have good aim. Crows are fast. That reminds me, oh my God, I don't know if I ever told you this, Morgan, but Zach and I were playing at the baseball field behind our house when we lived in town. 
And Zach actually straight up accidentally hit a bird once with a baseball. Oh, no. I know. I'm pretty sure I cried. It was not a good time. Oh, man. You know what? That reminds me. Have you seen that video? Oh, gosh. I can't remember the guy's name, but it's a clip of a guy throwing a baseball in like a professional game and he throws a pitch and it hits a bird as it's heading towards the batter and it explodes in a poof of feathers. Oh my God, I have. <laughs> That's what that one bird looks like. <laughs> oh no. I know. It was so bad. Uh, okay. So please forgive me all. We're going to go a little back and forth because it was the only way that I could compartmentalize these things and have them make sense. So we're going to get into his marriages for a minute and it's going to be just wild from here on out. This is the most tame that we're going to have it today. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So his marriages. He married Florence Dunning on October 21st of 1899 and was divorced from her in 1901 from her stating, quote, gross neglect of duty. So he's just a shit husband. Yeah, he's just a shit husband. I guess he just wasn't around because he was out playing baseball too much or whatever. And he was playing baseball and all the other things. I'm going to tell y'all. Okay, okay. Yeah. In 1903, he married May Wayne Skinner on June the 2nd, and they had only met three days prior. Oh. Yeah. And they only lived together infrequently, and she would often have him jailed multiple times, or she had him jailed multiple times for non-support. So... You can go to jail was, for that? I guess you could. I guess he wasn't, like, supporting her. You are such a bad husband. Right to jail. <laughs> right to jail. <laughs> and, I mean, they didn't live together, so maybe he wasn't, like, giving her any money to live off of. I don't know, but apparently she had him jailed multiple times for non-support. <laughs> wow. And you'll see this again further on, but he had a bit of a drinking problem Mm. and in 1905 he was living with his mother and father-in-law and i guess his wife as well and his father-in-law was like hey you're gonna have to pay a little bit of money to live here like it's not free and he ended up hitting his father-in-law with a flat iron (gasps) in the face and it broke his teeth (gasps) and then the mother-in-law tried to intervene, and she got hit with a chair, <gasps> and then he left. Oh was my like, God. oh, I fucked up, and he left before he could get, like, a warrant issued out for his arrest. One wow. source said it did catch up with him, and he did do some jail time for that. Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah, and then oh in God. 1809... May Skinner asked for a divorce. So they were married by the time it was finalized. Yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. Okay. I just want to make sure I was like, wait a minute. 
dates. Time travel. <laughs> it was like that calculus meme in my brain. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Numbers are hard. Um, so, yes, in 1908. Oh, I got them mixed up. So, in 1908. Okay. Damn it, the wine. Remind me to never drink before podcasting again. <laughs> um, it was finally finalized by 1910. So they were married for nearly seven years. Okay. And then April of 1910, he married 19-year-old Madge McGuire, and they divorced in 1911. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Now, here are some some stories of his marriages slash love life that I could not put into actual dates. I don't know what marriages they happened in. Or what happened. So one says that, and this one actually had a newspaper clipping, or I wouldn't have put it in here, that he took his wife of only three months, put her on her head, and spun her around like a top, and then hit her because she wasn't spinning fast enough. Like trying to make her break dance is how I imagined it. Why? But why? <laughs> I, because it was he does not day. sound like a good man. No, I'm actually getting the worst of it out at the beginning. Okay. It's really, he was only, not an excuse, he was only like this when he drank, apparently. Okay. And between the three marriages, he apparently forgot to divorce one before trying to marry the next one and was almost sued for bigamy. Well, like the second and third one, they ended. It was like back to really close. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm thinking happened. And he once put an ad in the papers to find himself a woman to date. And here are just some of the criteria. Oh, he was (laughs) describing himself as having an easygoing disposition, a splendid physique. And a bear hug that would make any woman happy. Okay. And when not under the influence of sinister forces, is docile and affectionate. Sinister forces. <laughs> He's looking for... Libations are sinister forces. <laughs> that you can absolutely refrain from partaking in. He was looking Lordy. for... Quote... Peroxide blondes, so apparently he liked those bleach blondes, and only unkissed, unhugged, and unspooned women. (laughs) You had to... (laughs) Wow. How do you prove that you've been unspooned? (laughs) Are you a skin virgin? Lord. I know. And he was looking for, between the ages of, now remember, a different time, it's still gross, 14 to 40. But a broad, (laughs) such a broad spectrum. is the broadest. (laughs) Wow. How old, do you know how old he was at this time? I don't, but he only lived to be 37. So it had to have been between the ages of like mid-20s to 30s, something like that. I was about to say. I would say. I think he was probably in his 20s around mm-hmm. this time. But 
14 I'm not, to 40. I'm not even done yet. Uh, oh, widows, widows could apply only if their husbands had been hanged. <laughs> Sorry, I keep laughing at your what? faces. <laughs> it, it, it does give a reason, <laughs> stating that, quote, grass and sod widows have too much of a habit of bragging about the virtues of their former husbands. <laughs> so we didn't want to be outdone by their the criminal husbands. husbands. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yes. And also no women with half or full set of false teeth were okay. accepted. <laughs> Bridges and other fillings would not be objected to. And that was just some of them. Goodness. Yeah. Goodness, goodness. Wow. I know. This guy's a, he's something else. He's yeah. I told you this is a this is a ride. <laughs> this is, this is a ride. I was not expecting this. I was like, oh baseball shenanigans, not what this is. <laughs> what this is. Okay, now we're finally getting into the baseball shenanigans. Okay. Okay. Or mostly baseball you. shenanigans. You're welcome. Okay. We're, we got the marriages out of the way. Goodness. Yes. Yeah, so all the teams that I'm going to list are like the official teams that I was able to find on like the baseball official websites and stuff. He did play for some local teams here and there. I, I could not find a comprehensive list of literally every team he played for because he would just like go play for a club here, a club there and stuff. So these are like the big leagues, college stuff and all that. So in college, remember, he did not finish high school, but he did get a scholarship to Volland College, but he didn't go to class. He just got paid in free chewing tobacco and a dollar a game to play on their baseball team. (laughs) And he averaged 15 strikeouts per inning. He's worth that dollar. (laughs) And during... One of the games, they were supposed to play the town of Mercer. And the Mercer team kidnapped him at gunpoint and made him play for their team instead of Voland. And then Mercer won, and they still gave him a dollar. They still paid him and let him go. (laughs) They just didn't want to lose. (laughs) It was a simpler time. Y'all, I'm shooketh. <laughs> I'm shook. <laughs> what a time to be alive where <laughs> can't have to gunpoint to play a baseball game, but he still got his dollar. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Hey, a dollar was a lot back then. What year was it? Uh, it's like 1897 is when he went to his first like big league so before that so 1896 so it's honestly (laughs) a dollar in 1896 is $36 oh well okay he's only paid $36 a game (laughs) (laughs) that's not enough to be held at gunpoint no. Fuck your dollar. Get that gun out of my face. Oh my god. 
We're, we haven't even made it to the big leagues yet. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's just college! Kidnapped at gunpoint in college that he didn't even go to. <laughs> no, he just, just like, played. Here's your dollar, here's your cigarette. All right, go have fun now. Bye! <laughs> okay, so on August 25th of 1897, he was signed as a free agent with the Louisville Colonels, where the manager was Fred Clark. He had made such a big impression in his, you know, college days. After being signed, he arrived at the team hotel, because they traveled, of course. So he arrived at the hotel at like 2 a.m. And what's everybody doing at 2 a.m.? Sleeping. Mm -hmm. So he decided he wanted to introduce himself to the manager right that second. So he knocked on the manager's door at 2 a.m. And Fred Clark was like, go fuck yourself. Like, literally, that's (laughs) apparently what he said. Rube was like, well, fine. I'll go wake everybody up. I don't know why. why. But he went to everybody's door and introduced himself. And then went back to Fred Clark's room. Got him up again and was like, hey, you might want to check on... William Hoy, he didn't answer the door, but turns out William Hoy was deaf and mute. So he couldn't. Oh. I know. He and was just... on the baseball team. That's that's pretty great. Yeah, he was out there killing it. Good for him. But what an... <laughs> what an <laughs> asshole to wake everybody up at 2 a.m. and just be like, hi, I'm Rube. <laughs> I'm Eddie. <laughs> or I'm Eddie. Eddie, Rube, whatever. I understand uh, why everyone called him Rube now. Yeah. <laughs> and he was known. He, this is when he really started getting the unreliable reputation. Okay. So he was known for just showing up with like two or three minutes before he's supposed to throw the first fucking ball. And he nice. would like leap into the stands and, like, run and, like, steal people's hot dogs and chug it down with beer and then jump onto the field and run. But he'd be in civilian clothes. He'd be in, like, regular, like, people clothes. So he would just strip down and put his uniform on on the field, but he never wore underwear. So he oh was just God. naked on the field. What a chaotic maniac. <laughs> So, obviously, Fred Clark is like, get this fucker off my team. So, in November of 1897, he was sent to Detroit as part of a conditional deal. But, in September of 1898, he was sent back to the Colonels. Sometime before 1899, the Colonels loaned him to Columbus Grand Rapids. And then in September of 1899, he returned back to the colonel. So poor Fred Clark just keeps getting him back. Everyone else is like, we don't want him either. Yeah. Take him back. So this is when things started to change a little bit. So in December, on December 8th of 1899, he was traded along with a couple of other players from the colonels to the Pittsburgh Pirates. 
And okay. this is, but the pirates were purchased by the colonels. They they did a whole reconfiguration in the early nineteen in nineteen hundred. So he got moved, and then so Fred Clark is still not rid of him. Not quite. Or or was he? Okay. He he was. He when he went to the pirates, okay. it was a different manager. In July twenty okay. fifth of nineteen hundred. He was traded by the Pittsburgh Pirates to the Milwaukee Brewers, which is a fucking awesome name, by the way. Yeah. And at the Brewers, Connie Mack was the manager. Connie Mack in the future is going to be a big integral part of his life. And so we can just see he's going back and forth and back and forth and here and there and everywhere. And on August 29th of 1900, he returned back to the Pittsburgh Pirates. During his time at the Pittsburgh Pirates, I don't know which time, if it was the first time or this time, uh, the players had to run three miles in the woods for training, and he got Mm -hmm. lost once while running in the woods. Not surprised whatsoever. But it was fine. He had his gun on him, so he just went hunting instead. Oh. And he shot some ducks, and he found his way back, and then he cooked them for his teammates. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, the pirate's manager told the owner to, quote, sell him, release him, drop him off the Monongahela Bridge, do anything, but get him off my team. And he was then sold to the orphans. The Chicago Orphans. <laughs> Sorry. I should have wrote Chicago Orphans. That was a team name. He was sold to the orphans. <laughs> Nobody else wanted him. So the orphans were like, we'll take him. No, oh the my Chicago God. Orphans. For- what what kind you- of baseball team name is that? The Orphans. Do you know what's what the- <laughs> Do you know what's worse? The orphans are now the cubs. <laughs> the cubs were originally called the orphans. The orphans. <laughs> oh my god, this idea was it be like you know what a great name for a baseball team would be? A team that'll really rally the spirits of the community. The orphans. <laughs> Who doesn't love orphans? What the hell? I don't know. <laughs> wanted rid of him so bad they sold him like instead of money they just gave a cigar for him the Chicago Orphans for a cigar. Like I said. (laughs) Must have been a good cigar. Um, But the team required morning practices, which is such a reasonable request. And he hated them so much that he never went to any of them and he got suspended in like six months. Oh my god. So he jumped from the Orphans to the Los Angeles Lulus. 
<laughs> I have to take. I just have to take my glasses off. <laughs> I was like, "You're gonna say the Los Angeles Angels or the Raiders or something?" I was not. I got whiplash. I thought I had whiplash from orphans, and then I got it again from Lulu's. <laughs> What's a Lulu? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so then he jumped in in June June nineteenth of nineteen oh two. He jumped from the Lulus <laughs> to Philadelphia Athletics, which is a normal last name. Thank you. That's the oh A's. Oh my gosh, I was like, like ready. The A's. Like, what the fuck is she gonna say? No. The A's. Okay. But it is now managed by Connie Mack, who was the manager of the Milwaukee Brewers that he was on before. Mm-hmm. Him and Connie Mack really hit it off. They had a really good season in nineteen hundred. So he was okay. convinced when Connie Mack went to the Philadelphia A's. To come to there as well. And he spent, that was his longest run with a team. So he was there just six years between June 19th of 1902 and 1908. So there's a lot of things that went on. And then I'm going to get into things that much like those marriage stories, I couldn't find a specific date for. So I'm just a list of what he did. But things that I could... A tribute to the Philadelphia A's. So, in let's see, he had 24 wins and struck out 210 from July to September of that first year. So, that wasn't even a full year. That was like a half of a season. And he struck out 210. Anyone before that hadn't struck out. They had never exceeded 200 in a full season. Wow. Yeah. And he did one game? Yeah. So, over the years, let's see, he struck out over 300 batters in several seasons. And like I said, before this, no one had ever topped 200 in a full season. Striking out 1,149 in the 19 months between July of 1902 and September of 1905. That's insane. 349 in 1904 alone. A record that would stand until 1965, and that was only with the season being extended. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible athlete. Weird-ass dude. Incredible athlete. And I haven't even gotten into the weird shit he does. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, Connie Mack would often have Rube stay in his hotel room with Connie Mack. So, Rube couldn't drink before big games because he apparently mm-hmm. had a drinking problem. But he would So he finally had someone that he yes, had to manage. Him. Yes. Connie Mack was like, I'm gonna like make him you know, it give him some guardrails, something, right? Right. Because he's too big of a talent to just let go because he's kind of eccentric. Um Yeah. So but once he claimed that Connie Mack said that he was gone for five minutes to make a phone call. And in that five minutes, he got hammered before he came back into the room. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. How do you get hammered in five minutes? He chugged, like, six drinks. 
in like five minutes. Oh my gosh. And Lordy. apparently he shared a bed and this wasn't uncommon when you're traveling like that. Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, share a bed sometimes. And he was mm-hmm. assigned to share a bed with a guy whose last name was Shrek and Ghost. And on road last name. I know. On road trips, he would eat animal crackers. Some sources say shelled peanuts. Um, he would eat the crackers in the bed. And that poor man was so tired of, like, sleeping on either animal crackers or peanut shells that in the next contract, they had to put, you can't eat in the bed. <laughs> in his contract. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Stop being a slob. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Connie Mack made him, quote, captain of the balls. So that... <laughs> I know. He needs a job. He needs a job. He needs a task. <laughs> so that players had to get balls only from him because he hated practice so much. It literally kept him engaged. And he enjoyed it until he realized that he had to be the one to retrieve the balls when they went too far. But that was Connie Mack's way of making him run. Because <laughs> he didn't want to run. You know, I do have to say props to Connie yeah. Mack for getting like a, a grip on he him. He was putting the work in. <laughs> truly. Yeah. He once got seriously hurt um, fighting over a straw hat with one of his teammates. He hurt his shoulder. Um. <laughs> Why are they fighting over his straw? Because he said it looked stupid, and then it pissed off his teammate, and then they had a little scuffle, which resulted in the hat being damaged, which then made them actually fight. (laughs) Um, This is so ridiculous. I know. He, when he was on the A's, he disappeared for a few days, and they couldn't find him. Until there was a fire next to the team's hotel, and they saw him helping put out the fire. He had like joined the fire. I was just about to ask. He had joined the fire. Was he squad. asleep on the floor of the the fire department? Apparently, at one point, he just joined the fire brigade, the local one, and he just played it off like he was an experienced firefighter. And they had to go like drag him out of there. Rube yearns. Yeah. He yearns for the fire. Let the man put out the fire. (laughs) Okay, so Connie tried to convince Rube not to drink and brought Rube into his room, sat him down, poured him a glass of whiskey, and then dropped three live worms into it. The worms obviously died quickly. And Mac Mm -hmm. asked Rube if he knew what he was trying to tell him. Obviously that this stuff isn't good for you. You shouldn't drink it. That's not how Rube took it. Rube thanked his manager and said, quote, you're just trying to relieve my mind. It's good to know that a drinking man ain't never going to have to worry about worms in his stomach. And in 1907, a lot of the A's players, not all of them, but a lot of them said that they would they would all quit if Rube Rube played again. So he was sold to the Browns for five thousand dollars. More than a cigar this time. Yep. And in 1908, he was purchased by the St. Louis Browns from the Philadelphia Athletics. Um, he, in that year, he struck out 
16 of the Philadelphia A's batters that year in a single game, a record that stood for 30 years. So he struck out his old teammates. Wow. And after, unfortunately, after years of drinking and not taking care of himself, and I'll get into all of the shenanigans that he was doing over those years, because this is the unknown timeline we're about to get into. His talent Mm -hmm. started deteriorating in 1908, and his managers were finding him less useful on the field, but just as problematic. And he was hit Mm -hmm. in the elbow. Mm -hmm. He was left-handed, so he he was hit in the left elbow by Eddie Quixote. Is that how you say that? In May of 1910. And it pretty much ended his major league career. Was he hit, like, in a fight or, like, by By a a ball ball or a bat or something? Yeah, by a pitch. By a pitch. Yeah. So he was batting, I'm assuming. So, the unknown timeline. These are just his antics over his career. Okay. So, Rube would... Pour ice water on his arms before games because he said he threw the ball so hard he would burn up the catcher's mitt if he didn't. Wow. Yeah. He wouldn't listen to his catcher's signs. He just kind of threw whatever ball he wanted to. <laughs> and he once made 12 wild pitches in two innings because the catcher wouldn't catch the ball unless he started listening to the signs that his catcher was giving him. And he was forced to start listening. Good. Yeah. Right. He yeah. often called out his outfield. He called his outfielders off the field because he said he didn't need them because he was going to strike them out anyway, which he normally did. Damn. That's a confident man. Yeah. And he was said to have run off the field in the middle of a game if a fire truck drove by to assist in fires. And he wore a red shirt under his uniform just in case. And Connie Mack quoted, I had to keep an eye on him to keep him from joining up with the fire department in any town we happened to be playing in. We always wore, he always wore a red undershirt so that when the fire bell rang, he could pull off his coat, thus exposing his crimson credentials and gallop off to the blaze where he would try to direct operations by ringing commands, whether anybody obeyed them or not. He's just trying to tell the firefighters what how to, to do, do their jobs. Yes, oh it God. did come in handy once because they used to use a mattress as a backstop, and it once caught on fire, probably from someone throwing a cigarette or something like that. And he oh, was wow. able to drag it into the sand and just let it burn out safely. And he did oh help gosh. save a man's house in a fire. Wow! And He used to do a bunch of crazy wind-ups, so he was credited to being one of the first athlete, one of the first pitchers to do, like, the wild wind-ups to distract the batters. And sometimes he would just skip games to go play games with neighborhood kids. Like, not, not like just 
gonna crush no, you. No, he would be like leapfrog and marbles and. Oh, I just imagined him like joining like a sandlot no. of kids. No, he baseball, was really nice. And he'd to be him. like. That's so surprising. Like, it sounds like he's such an asshole. Only when drunk. In all other areas Only of his life. Only when drunk. Okay. When, when drunk. drunk. But he hurt his arm once teaching kids how to throw a curveball, but he didn't have a ball with him, so he was teaching them how to throw with a brick. I knew you were going to fucking say brick. <laughs> I knew it. I was like, he was using a He's a fucking brick. Oh he was gosh. a menace to himself. Yeah. And... He would do cartwheels and somersaults to the dugouts, and he would sing songs to mock the other players, like the opposing players. What a ham. I know. What a ham. (laughs) But one of his teammates was hit in the head with the ball so hard that it knocked him unconscious once. And everyone was like, oh, what do we do? And they're just like staring at him. But Waddell ran over, picked him up, threw him over his shoulder, and like flagged down a carriage, took him to the hospital, and stayed there with holding like a bag to his head. And they said if he hadn't have done that, his teammate probably would have died. So, oh my god, yes. Um, he had a wow. brief stint as an actor in the off season because why the fuck not? And <laughs> this will go over about as well as you would think it would. So, Mm -hmm. if y'all hear my dog barking, just know everything's fine. She barks at the wind. Um, (laughs) So, he became an actor for a short period of time, touring the United States on the off-season, acting in a play called The Stain of Guilt. But he never remembered his lines and just kind of made them up. Because, of course, he didn't. I was about to say, like acting requires memorization of lines and staying on a schedule yeah he didn't and he's not good at either of those and he would also act in his baseball uniform a lot of the times (laughs) and at one point he was supposed to say unhand that woman you cur and then stage punch the other actor but he never got like that fake punch really down pat And he actually punched the man so hard that it knocked him over the footlights and into the orchestra pit. Oh, my God. And then... Oh, that poor man. He wasn't ready. And there there was a time that they were traveling and they were on a, like, steamboat ferry tour boat or whatever. I think it was on the Mississippi River or something like that. And they were going from one city to another on this boat. Well, one of his female co-stars fell off the boat. But Waddell was driving the boat, but then abandoned his station and went and saved his co-worker's co-star. And so, one, why was he driving this boat? It was not his boat. That's That was my first question. <laughs> I don't know. Like, what? No one knows why. He probably was just like, hey, let me drive this boat. And they're like, sure. You're fucking Rube Waddell. I'm not telling you no. And then he saved his wow. co-star. 
This next um, title is called Animal Lover Most of the Time. So just prepare oh. yourself for this. Okay. He, oh, he was obsessed okay. with animals. And he owned a couple bears. One he named Ty Cobb which was a fellow baseball player, and one named Connie Mack. Yeah. (laughs) And he had pet pigs and was a huge dog fan. And fans and opposing coaches would often hold up puppies as a way to distract him from pitching because he would often leave the mound to go pet the puppies. You know what? That's yeah, relatable. it is. And one coach said that he'd give him a hunting dog, and he was so excited he just forgot about pitching. He was like, fuck it, I want my hunting dog. <laughs> I relate to that so I hard. Um, I went to Chicago with Corey and her family, and I stumbled upon a very friendly golden retriever. And at one point, me and this dog were rolling around the sidewalk in Chicago, just like having the best time. Just, like, giving each other loves. And my favorite. <laughs> Corey was just, like. My favorite thing ever was when you saw the dog on the beach in the hat. <laughs> this dog had a hat. And she and cried because she was, like, it's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. Because <laughs> it was. It was. It was a golden retriever with a little blue ball cap. Covering and his little his ears eyes, were sticking out of the hat. The oh. It was like it was so yep. cute you guys so are you ready for all the other shenanigans with animals oh my he gosh. was reported okay. to have tackled a walrus <laughs> wrestled alligators climbed into a bear cage at a zoo to wrestle them rode ostriches Y'all, I wish you could see Morgan's face right now. He went to a show and got mad at the lion. So he punched the lion and then it bit him in his hand. (laughs) I mean, that's instant karma. And it bit his left hand too. So his pitching hand. But like, don't punch lions. Why? (laughs) He apparently would make cow and pig noises at the batters to distract them. And this one's really sad. Um, But he was showing a bunch of city boys how to carry a pig by throwing a 300-pound pig over his shoulder. And he ended up breaking the pig's leg. So then he showed the city boys how to barbecue that night. I know. Oh, no, that poor piggy. (laughs) Honestly, I'm still on the I lion. Know. Like, what did what possesses you to be like? You know what's a good idea? I'm going to punch. I'm this so lion. fucking mad at this lion right now. I'm just gonna punch it. But I mean, he tackled a walrus and alligators and bears as well. So, what a maniac! And he was also. You're right, yeah. he is a menace. <laughs> he was also reported to have adopted a flock of geese and then taught them how to jump rope. <laughs> and one of them wouldn't do it, so he taught it how to hold the other end of the rope. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> 
How do you train a goose to jump rope? <laughs> what? No. Oh my gosh, my face hurts. I feel like my voice sounds so stupid because I'm just trying to talk through laughing. Uh, so, he would often disappear. This next section is called Disappearing Act. <laughs> so he would disappear oh, and go fishing. But not for like an afternoon. For like ten days at a time. <laughs> Just gone. Wow. And he disappeared once because he had quit his team. And joined a local team in Wisconsin because that team allowed him to go fishing six days a week. (laughs) (laughs) That was like part of his contract. It's like, dude, we don't need you to practice. You can go. You can fuck off for six days. Come at the games and you can fuck off for six more days. Honestly, it sounds like they're like, this is fine because he is. A menace, yeah. and we don't want him yeah, around Yeah, to show us. up We just want him to, to strike pitch. out the other team. And after signing yeah. with the Union League Philadelphia team, the new manager, Walter Schlit- Schlichter, immediately resigned. <laughs> Later that season, with that team, they were supposed to play... A team from Patterson, New Jersey, where 3,000 people showed up to see Rube play. But Rube didn't show. And it's not because he forgot. Rube went to the wrong stadium, and they found him on Columbia Avenue at Columbia Park, where he thought the game was. And he was just wandering around trying to figure out where everybody was. (laughs) And his team lost that game. (laughs) Oh, my God. I can't. I don't have I don't words. Either. Just like going around to an empty, <laughs> I, I presume empty. Like, where is everyone? Why am I the only one I don't one know here? if that's confidence or oh what God. it is to just walk around and be like, yeah, I'm the right one here. Everyone else is at the wrong stadium. All 3,000 plus other people are wrong. <laughs> I am the only one that's right. Oh my god. I swear this is the most... Y'all, the amount of times my head has been in my hand this episode in like a face palm. (laughs) Yeah. I'm gonna have like a red mark on my head. Probably. On my face from just like my palm hitting it so often. And listen, we've got one, two, like three more little sub things. This man. Okay. Okay, so he he liked to fight, apparently when drunk, and he once fought a professional wrestler, Frank Gotch, where he was body slammed by Frank Gotch, because of course he was, and he was out of playing baseball for a few games. He accidentally shot his friend in the hand once. Yep. Oh my god. He... (laughs) was getting a handkerchief out of his pocket at a hotel lobby and his gun, I guess when he pulled his hand back out, his gun 
fell out of his pocket and discharged. It didn't hit anybody. It just hit the wall. But he just straight up picked up his gun and walked off like nothing happened. I thought you were going to say that's no. when he shot his friend in the hand. A this was a separate incident. incident. Oh, my God. So, during a game, a fan was heckling him. And the fan was a famous ticket scalper and gambler. And uh, I guess Rube got really just fucking tired of being heckled at that moment. And he jumped into the stand punched the guy in the face, ripped off his coat and his shirt for some reason, and drug him back down to the field by his neck. And the police just came and took the fan away. And then he was reported to have pitched the rest of the game better than ever. Wow. That, that is quite a response yeah. to yeah. a heckler. <laughs> and he was, he hurt his hand in a fight, I guess at a bar or something like that. But he was going to be fined by his team manager, Jim Hart. But he got out of the fine by telling Hart that he was just defending Hart's honor because the guy that he beat up was talking trash about Hart. And Rube was only drinking pop. And that was completely made up. (laughs) Of course it was. Yeah. And (laughs) he got sideswiped by a car in New York. And then he ran the car down jumped on its sideboard, and was screaming at the driver. But Rube didn't want to fight the guy. He just wanted $15 to replace his ruined clothes. I thought you were going to say he punched the car. I was like half expecting, and he just punched the car. He's unpredictable. (laughs) You don't know what he's going to do. $15. God. What's $15? Probably. Well, if a dollar was, what, 37 it's almost five hundred. Oh my god! He must have been wearing like a suit or something. Five hundred bucks. <laughs> I think he just wanted five hundred dollars, <laughs> probably to go drinking. <laughs> oh man, this makes a future story make a lot more sense. Okay, so he got in a fight in Camden, New Jersey, once, and Connie Mack was trying to teach Rube a lesson. So Connie Mack staged a hearing. To scare Rube into behaving. And he got a police lieutenant to play a judge and got the guy he beat up to come in. Unfortunately, the guy he beat up was basically mummified in bandages. So he couldn't really be of much assistance. But the judge, quote, judge, placed him under a $300 bond and a threat of six months in jail if he misbehaved again. And it scared him straight for about a month. (laughs) Just a couple weeks. A month. And here's the story I said that it was about to make sense. Connie Mack gave Rube a gold watch as payment or I don't know what. And Rube lost it and pleaded with Connie with tears in his eyes about what can be done to find my watch. So Connie put an ad in the paper for $20 for anyone who could return the watch. A local bar owner returned it. And then Rube went to that bar later on because he then had a $20 credit at that bar. 
So he just got Connie Mac to pay for his booze. And we just established that $15 was about $500. Mm-hmm. 20 bucks is probably... Like 700 yeah. or more. Good Lord. Wait, so just to make sure I understand. So did um, Connie give Rube the money to give to the bartender? No, the bartender got the reward. So in my head, I think Rube was like, I've got an idea to get a $20 credit here. Get when you see an ad in the paper, return this watch to Connie Mac. Connie Mac will give you the money. You give it to me as a credit. Oh, okay. So they were in cahoots. Okay. Wow. That's elaborate, isn't it? It's very elaborate. Okay. And so opposing fans started to cheer. Uh, Rube, you've been drinking. You cannot see the plate. <laughs> that was in our skit. So right. later years and death. So like we said earlier, he had that hit to the elbow in 1910. And that really ended his big league career. So in 1911, he played for the Minneapolis Millers. And he um, had a 20-win season that year. And then in 1913, he played for the Minneapolis Rough Riders, the Millers, and the Virginia Ore Diggers, kind of intermittently. But he was never at that, the way he was before. And the, mm-hmm. one of the reasons that he wasn't the way he was before was because during the winter, Rube was living in Hickman, Kentucky, by the Mississippi River, and he had warned the townsfolk that it was going to flood. So he started sandbagging the riversides at night and ended up staying out in the freezing cold for like 13, 14 hours, and he ended up catching pneumonia. And after that, his health was never really the same. And Mm -hmm. while he was pitching for the Virginia ore diggers, he collapsed on the mound several times and was coughing a lot in the summer of 1913. And then later on that fall, he was picked up off the streets in St. Louis. And at that point, he had tuberculosis. Oh, I know. So his sister... Lived in San Antonio, took him in, thinking the warmer climate would help him, but it was too far gone, and he was placed in a sanatorium until his death. But he died. Guess what day? Friday the 13th. April 1st. April Fool's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Of 1914. And was buried in the San Antonio Missions Burial Park. And he was the first player celebrated for just his looniness. That's a word yeah. for it. And I've got some quotes about him. So Connie Mack once said, He had more stuff than any pitcher I ever saw. Cy Young called him a damn fine pitcher, but he ran his mouth quite a bit. The A's first baseman, Harry Davis, said that, quote, Too much was made of his eccentricities. And too little of the other side of his nature. Waddell had a kind and lovable disposition. 
So apparently he did okay. when not drinking. And the Los Angeles Times said, quote, Many a good laugh has been stilled by the announcement from San Antonio, Texas, that George Edward Rube Waddell has been called out by the chief of umpires. The eccentric left-hander probably gave the baseball public more successive laughs and shocks than any other diamond figure. The Milwaukee Centennial said, quote, Let it be said now that Waddell saved the American League from the rocks of bankruptcy. Wow. Because people really, they loved him. He was a one of the first, like, baseball celebrities. And people would flock to the stadium. And they may, he was one of the reasons that baseball got really popular during that time. Because they just thought he was great. And it really yeah. boosted the baseball industry. And then the Chicago Inner Ocean said, quote, Rube was... Many kinds of man, angler, trap shot, football player, actor, fire fiend, amateur barkeeper, prize borrower, practical joker, comedian, a swarm, sworn enemy of gloom, a joyous wastrel, a boy that never grew up, as well as one of the greatest pitchers. As the leading comedian of baseball, he was on the job day and night. 365 days a year. That was a very sweet quote. It was. Also, I didn't even mention that he did have a short stint as a barkeeper and he had a short stint as a football player. I just couldn't get into everything. No. (laughs) I'm not either. So that's, uh, that's Mr. Rube. Rube Waddell. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I'm, Speechless. Speechless. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Now, I'm going to reiterate, some of these are probably exaggerated. Mm -hmm. But I read them how the sources said, and that's the best I can do. And like I said at the beginning, if a quarter of these are true, holy shit. If even one of them is the truth, holy shit, like... Again, any I'm still of them. on the lion thing. Like, <laughs> just punched a lion, tackled a walrus. It once said that he beat, um, who was it? On the 4th of July, I think it was, was it Cy Young or another really um, popular baseball player? He beat their team and he cartwheeled all the way to the bar and then tried to pay for his drinks with the winning baseball. <laughs> wow I didn't even write that one down <laughs> wow yeah like this man has me speechless <laughs> his uh, his teammates after he died I think one of them said that it, this is a loose quote guys but it was like he had one prerogative in life and that was just to have a good time sounds like it yeah that's all he lived for yeah. Yeah. Story of Rube Waldell. Waldell. Waddell. 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 No, you're good. Rube I'm just. Waddell. Sorry if y'all heard me snorting earlier in that one. Um, oh, I was too. It was. 
orphans. (laughs) 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 He was sold to the orphans. (laughs) For a cigar. (laughs) Why did the orphans have a cigar? Just one cigar. <laughs> you got to smoke it. <laughs> oh my god. Probably, uh, what was his name? Fred Clark. Frank Clark. Because he yeah. finally got rid of him. Oh my god. <laughs> Sell him. Release that, him. That's throw her over. Throw him over the Mahaga whatever bridge. <laughs> Just get him Just off get my rid team. of him. <laughs> oh my god y'all uh, this this that's... has to be the most derailed one that i've done yet but I, this was the most organized i could make this man's life <laughs> you know what i think you did a really good job thank I you i will say like it's very close between this and the olympics one it, that you did that is. one was and you know what's crazy it's lot. about the same time frame like Something about the early 1900s, people were like, fuck it, we're just doing weird shit now. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're going to do it, oh, and yes. who's going to stop us? Nobody. Go <laughs> wrestle there. <laughs> I just can't. He's fucking running he's on a three mile run and he just casually has a gun with him and he's like well i guess i'll just go hunting now i'm gonna go cook some ducks that i y'all were running i was hunting here's some ducks you... <laughs> oh my god you know what these geese should do fucking jump rope how how do you train a goose who's arguably one of the more ornery of the birds well, obviously, because one jump wouldn't rope. jump, <laughs> so we taught it to hold the rope. <laughs> oh, my God. And there was one. Oh, wow. my God. I got to look it up. Um, let's see. It's it's almost like a, a baseball card, almost. <laughs> look. <laughs> it's the puppy. Okay, guys. I'm putting this one on Instagram and Facebook, but it's to. a lion. He's holding, he's cuddling, and I, I cuddling an alligator and a puppy, and a, a lion is trying to attack him in the background, and someone just doodled this. Like, it's it looks like a baseball card kind of feel to it. Yeah. I mean, he's in his baseball uniform, and it says Rubadel. Uh, on the bottom left, it says United, the United States absurdity. I like that. Oh, my God. But, I mean, honestly, I think this really encapsulates who he was. It <laughs> truly does. Because, good Lord. Good, good Lord. Good Lord. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so. All right. I don't know if I'm sorry or you're welcome, guys, for that one. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Like, I'm glad that there was a really funny one because mine coming up um, was a a little bit more more dry. Uh, That happens. A little bit more 
serious, so I'm glad we had a really funny one to kind of lighten the mood up before. It's not, like, sad, sort of. It's just, it's very dense. Um, yeah. Just so y'all are aware, because I love torturing myself with these super crazy topics. <laughs> well, we, we keep torturing each other, like, ourselves with different kinds of crazy yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you have, like, the more serious, the heavy ones somehow. And I I don't know how I end up with these. I have no idea. I'm letting the universe tell me. I'm very glad you do. What my topic is. I, I'm yeah. very glad you do. Because this you. was this was very enjoyable. Oh, editing those cry laughs is going to be fun later. <laughs> so, uh, if you want to hear more of uh, our whatever this is now um <laughs> i think we've surpassed shenanigans with this episode uh you can so. find us on well one anywhere you get podcasts so anywhere and you can find us on facebook at ill-equipped history podcast group and instagram ill-equipped history you can email us. We did have a listener email. Big shout out to you. Thanks for emailing us. So you can email us at illequippedhistory at gmail.com. Like, share, tell your friends about it. Shout it from the rooftops, car windows at the school pickup line. You know, whatever you got to do. Get the word out. Play us on blast. Yeah. <laughs> as loud as you can. <laughs> Annoy your neighbors with us. <laughs> so i guess we're we're gonna go and uh we'll see, see you next week okay bye okay bye